and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I've been doing for the past several weeks is working my way through a mega series called These Seven Men Are Disrupting the Comic Book Industry. And as a matter of fact, I'm coming to the last lapse of that mega series right now. And just in case it wasn't obvious, the promise and the pledge of these seven men are disrupting the comic book industry, at least as a mega series. The entire point of this is to talk about bunches and bunches and bunches of early 90s image comics. And the reason for that is because I love early 90s image comics, or I'm at least willing to acknowledge that there are some very, very good comics in there. Now, Maybe not everything's gold, but there's a lot more gold in them thar hills than you might think if you tool around on Facebook for too long. So there's that. Now, the other thing is, I think that these comics, just on an objective level, are incredibly underrated, all right? And I guess as an example of what I'm talking about, it's common knowledge that in 1998, Jim Lee sold his Wildstorm company to DC Comics, right? That's known, it's not breaking news to anybody, but my contention is this. If Jim Lee hadn't sold out to DC, if he'd stayed independent for all these years, I think Wildstorm is probably the, the only comic book, and I don't even know what to call it, can't really call it its own company. It's the only imprint that might be able to challenge Marvel Comics right now, because if we know nothing else, we know that apparently Warner Brothers is just not interested in making good comic book movies for the most part. But if Jim Lee had stayed independent all these years and if he still owned Wildstorm, guys, I can't help thinking that the Wildstorm uh, canon you know what? It's, it is deep enough, it is dynamic enough, it's diverse enough. I think it could offer some meaningful competition to Marvel these days, at least as far as comic book movies are concerned. And honestly, at least in terms of quality, that's gotta be true of the comics. So anyway, my point is to say that I have a real soft spot for early 90s image. I think this stuff in large part is really good and often, it's great. These are great comics. So uh, I think I've introduced this mega series enough. Um, so today, what I'm going to be doing is talking about Spawn number three, because last week I talked about Spawn number two, and then the week before that I talked about Spawn number one. So this has got to be the week where I talk about Spawn number three. I'm really good at math, kids. So this is Spawn number three. Cover date is August of 1992. Cover artist is Todd McFarlane. Writer is Todd McFarlane. Penciler is Todd McFarlane. Inker is Todd McFarlane. Colorist is Todd Steve Olive. Letterer is Tom Morzachowski. Editor is Wanda. Oh, fuck it. She's married to Todd. The editor is Wanda McFarlane. All right. How's that work for you? Story is entitled Questions Part 3. Story synopsis is as follows. Spawn suddenly recalls his wife's name is Wanda Blake. Knowing this, he decides to head to the Central Intelligence Agency headquarters in New York to dig up Wanda's file in order to find her. His memories are slowly returning to him and he knows the devil is just playing with his mind. At CIA headquarters in New York, Spawn breaks in to find Billy Miller sexually harassing his secretary. Spawn warns him to keep it in his pants as he takes the file on Wanda and retreats into the night. Elsewhere, Malbolgia laughs as Spawn uses violence, which he, Malbolgia, loves and yearns for. On the rooftops, Spawn uses the file to find Wanda's current location. Outside her house, he uses necroplasm power to transform into a Caucasian once more. He rings the doorbell and is beside himself with just how beautiful his wife still is. All at once, a small child named Cyan comes to the door, at which time, Al faints. Upon waking up, he finds that Wanda has married Terry Fitzgerald, and together they've had a daughter called Cyan. He leaves them both, wishing them all the happiness in the world. In a nearby alley, Spawn's spell wears off, and he returns to his hellish appearance. 
the clown appears out of the shadows and threatens him again. As he does so, he transforms into his true appearance of the Violator. The Violator catches Spawn by surprise and quick, uh, quickly rips out his heart. Spawn collapses on the ground, seemingly dead. The Violator walks away, shocked that Malbolge's favorite human is already dead. The Violator's joy is interrupted when, from over his shoulder, he hears, Who said anything about being human? He turns to see Spawn rejuvenated with green necroplasm, healing his open wound. To be continued. So, what did I think? Well, as I've... I don't want to belabor this point any more than I already have in previous episodes, but it does bear at least a little bit of repeating that when I was growing up, I had a real fixation for Image Comics and wanted to collect them all, but was just not really able to. Spawn was the only image title that I was able to follow very closely. And so as a result, Spawn is really the image title with which I had the greatest amount of familiarity for a pretty long time there. So all of this is to say that of these four issues that I'm going to be talking about and these seven men are disrupting the comic book industry, I think it's kind of a toss-up, really, which cover I like the most between Spawn number one and Spawn number three. Spawn number one is fully painted. It's got a lot of color to it. It's It just pops and it would grab anybody's attention when it's just sitting there on uh, on the newsstand or in your LCS or fucking wherever. You know, it would demand attention. But just in terms of uh, technique and setting the mood and all that, eh, Spawn number three is pretty good. I mean, you've got Spawn. He's on a rooftop of some kind. He's surrounded by bats. It looks like it's it's all in how you look at it, really. But to me, I've always interpreted that there's a sunset. He's basically catching the, la the last uh, rays of sunshine before the sun goes down. And some shit's about to go down wherever wherever it is that he's on his way to. So I don't know. I just this is one of the things that I like about image, especially early 90s image less so new school image, but OG image. The seven co-founders definitely understood the rule of cool. And so sometimes it's enough for a piece of art or a cover or a poster or a trading card or just fucking whatever. Sometimes it's just enough that it looks cool. It doesn't really need to have some kind of intrinsic meaning or I don't know. sometimes I guess my point is sometimes it's it's just enough that it be cool. You know, it doesn't need to have some kind of fucking transcendent value to it is what I'm trying to say. So on that basis, the cover for spawn number three, <clears throat> I think this is great. So take all that for whatever you think it's worth. So getting into co what comiXology considers to be page three of this issue, it's basically spawn and it's a uh, kind of a, semi-profile shot. He's hollering Wanda's name. And again, this just looks cool. It's it's Spawn. He's looking all dangerous and everything. And his his green eyes are sparkling with necroplasm energy and, and all of that. And this is just cool. Again, this definitely lives up uh, to the rule of cool. And his his inner monologue, I think, is to me it's evidence of the fact that McFarlane is growing in office as it were he's becoming a better writer so let me yeah here's a good example wonder how grandma blake is these days she could be dead for all i know hell everyone i knew could be dead still can't recall all my life but the pieces are coming together faster now every flash of memory adds another string of info funny how being a walking dead <laughs> walking dead Funny how being a walking dead man can screw up your life. And <clears throat> basically what McFarlane is doing here, he's getting specific so that he can get general, right? He's going outside of Al Simmons as a character so that he can bring everything back to Al Simmons as a character. So you've got Al. He's standing there. He's wondering how uh, his mother-in-law. Oh, no, this is his grandmother-in-law, I guess. So, yeah, he's wondering how his grandmother-in-law is doing. He he mentally notes the fact that, hey, she could be dead. And then he starts thinking, well, everyone I know could be dead. They may have already been dead when I died. I mean, I don't remember everything about my life. 
man, it really sucks that the devil's fucking with my mind. He's basically McFarlane is setting up a bunch of different things here uh, in terms of Al Simmons's life before he died, his life now that he's back from the dead, uh, his family and well, in-laws anyways. And the fact that it's it, it's Malbolgia that's the, that's fucking with him and all that. And this is not super easy writing to do, you know, ticking off this many things without it feeling to the reader as though you're ticking off this many things. And the reason I'm kind of dwelling on this so much is because of the fact that, as I've said in previous episodes, especially in these early issues of Spawn, Todd McFarlane really takes a lot of grief as a writer. Not so much as an artist, but as a writer, he definitely takes a lot of grief. And it's just so unjustified, I think. So, anyways. So, uh, moving right along, this is uh, page five. We uh, Spawn's inner monologue, it continues. Then I'm going to find him. The scumbag, he's talking here about Malbolgia, right? He says, then I'm going to find him. The scumbag who's messing with my so-called life. <laughs> Huh. There's another one. My so-called life. All of this, by the way, obviously this was all pre-Walking Dead comic book, pre-My So-Called Life, the TV show. Wow, so he, McFarlane accidentally name-checked two things there. So anyway, uh, then I'm going to find him, the scumbag who's been messing with my so-called life. For someone who didn't believe in religion, I sure got thrown into a biblical nightmare. And again, we get, we're getting some character development going on here. This is... This is useful information to have in as much as we've mostly seen Spawn in issues number one and two behaving primarily like an amnesiac. He's had little bits and pieces of information, but there hasn't really been anything too specific. And because of that, it's kind of hard to de to define the character, to develop the character, because when the character doesn't know who he himself is and no one else knows who he is either, how do you develop this character? And so this is a pretty, when you think about it, that's actually a pretty intense writing challenge. And there, yes, there is dramatic effect to consider bits and pieces of Spawn's memories coming back to him bit by bit. But it's like at the same rate, you still have in those first two issues, you've still got two issues of setting up your protagonist, who he is, uh, his world, his worldview, his backstory as much as you can, etc. And I think, honestly, McFarlane, I think he actually does a, a really good, considering, you know, I think he actually does a really good job with, with presenting the reader with enough information so that you can follow everything, but not overloading us. So, anyway. So, moving right along, getting into Comixology's pages six and seven, we start getting a little bit more about the deal that Malbolgia is making, or has made, with Al Simmons, the structure of it, and also some insight into his agenda. On page seven, he says, My personal mission is to make your new life a living hell. Yes, my dear friend, it wasn't by accident that you were picked to receive the power. Your life history made you the perfect choice. How amusing. A hired killer now thinks he can have morals. No, Al Simmons, morals are not a luxury that we are granted. We do because we have to. That is enough. Rhyme or reason are irrelevant. We must grow our army. Or rather, we must grow. Our army must grow. You've been selected to help speed up that growth, and in case you might need a little motivation, I've sent a few friends to keep an eye on you. Trust is not strong among us. Yes, you and I made a simple deal. Unfortunately, you forgot to read the small print. <laughs> you know, all of that stuff. And one of the things that we need to get straight here, I guess, like from the jump, I couldn't really do it before now, but we're starting to get some insight into Malbolgia's uh, agenda here, right? Now, we need to say, first of all, Todd McFarlane is, or at least was, I don't so much know about now, but he at least was at one time a self-professed atheist, right? So one of the things that I just didn't completely grasp when I was a kid, because kids are stupid, is... The fact that the 
this whole nature of heaven, hell, and uh, angels and demons and all that stuff that we see in Spawn, it's pretty far removed from what I knew of Christianity then, and for that matter, what I know of Christianity now. So I guess the best way to say it is what we're dealing with here, this is something that has, I guess because of the fact that, uh, let's face it, this is Western civilization. Todd McFarlane, he is a, a, a Canadian. Canadian or uh, Canadians, at least at the time that McFarlane would have been born and grown up, Christianity would have been very strong in the culture. And so even though McFarlane is, or like I say, was, I don't know one way or the other if he still is an atheist, but at least back in the day, he was an atheist. I still think that to him, even to non-Christians, when you say, like in the West anyway, when you say religion, it's just kind of, it's so baked into the culture that a lot of them, when they hear religion, they think Christianity or something similar to it. And so basically what McFarlane is doing here, he he's kind of developed his own sort of fictional cosmology, and you really can't ignore the Christian elements of it, what with angels and demons and heaven and hell and all that stuff. But this is not Christian cosmology by any stretch of the imagination. And so because of that, basically the the model that Spawn as a comic book is using is something similar to the draft, right? Where heaven and hell are clearly at war with one another. So when people die, they go to heaven or they go to hell. And if there's a war going on between heaven and hell, well, it kind of makes you wonder, who do you want on your side, you know, for this for this war between heaven and hell? Do you want Mother Teresa on your side? Or do you want a professional government assassin on your side? Well, on, you know, in, in terms of the cosmology that's presented here in, in Spawn, where, like I say, it's kind of a draft, heaven and hell, they get to pick who goes where. There's not necessarily a fundamental difference between one or the other. Heaven is not a radically better place to be than hell is, and hell is not a radically worse place to be than heaven is. They're basically two competing, uh, we'll say, teams. And so it. I guess it, when somebody dies, it's kind of like the draft. You know, you get to pick which person goes where. And so that seems to be the way, the way that it works. And Malbolgia apparently insisted on getting Al Simmons upon his death. And so... Al's purpose is basically to grow in some way or another, to to grow Malbolgia's army. And so, and then I think it's kind of implied that he, in this comic book, it's kind of implied that there could be a purpose beyond just growing the army. There could be a purpose for Spawn and Al being selected as Spawn in terms of growing this army and then what the army does. So that gets touched upon a bit more in the future, so I don't want to dwell too much on it here, except to say we're starting to get Malbolgia laying out his agenda a little bit. And like I say, I mean, this bamboozled the fuck out of me when I was a kid because this did not really align with Christian cosmology as I knew it. And basically, the part about this that I just wasn't grasping is the fact that McFarlane isn't trying to show Christian cosmology. He's trying to show a fictional cosmology that's in, that is obviously, clearly influenced in some way or another, to some degree or another, by Christianity. But that's really more of a starting point rather than the ending point. So anyway, I just wanted to throw all of that out there because this is the sort of thing, for whatever reason that really does offend people. I can even kind of understand why. I mean, it's tempting to say, and I don't get it because of fucking blah, blah, blah. No, actually, I, I do understand it. it, it uh, uh, it's actually very understandable. It's just that for me, I can read something like this. And even though I'm Catholic myself, I understand that what I'm reading is something fictional and it doesn't really have too much of anything to do with what I believe as a Catholic. But there are other religious types out there that, for just whatever reason, this sort of thing just bothers the fuck out of them. And so, 
I'm not here to tell those people that they're wrong. I'm just here to say you really should have informed consent on this type of thing. So anyway, now in some previous episode, I want to say it was the one that I did about Spawn number one, but um, in some previous episode about Spawn that I've done, I basically said that what we're seeing here in Spawn as a title is it's basically this sort of supernatural horror type of thing, right? Now, at least to start with, it's got a lot of the 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 window dressing and the stylings of superhero comics, but this isn't really a superhero comic. And it's the the superhero influence I think is most clearly seen I would say in the first maybe 25 or 30 issues of Spawn it really gets watered down over time and then I think by about the time you get to issue 30 31 32 and through there it really goes away but before then you know this is equal parts or not even equal parts this is really a superhero comic with some supernatural horror elements to it whereas starting around issue number 30 or so that's when it really starts becoming just straight supernatural horror and so that's not good that's not bad it's simply true and so what i'm driving at is right here on comicsology's page 10 this is a little bit of a early 90s superhero comic from the standpoint that spawn is basically he he gets the drop on billy miller and he says hey you need to start paying your fucking alimony and child support oh and by the way if you lay hands on your secretary one more time, you're never going to use those hands again. And that's, in a certain kind of way, that is an early 90s superhero comic book type of trope. You know, kicking people around like that and making threats. And in particular, I think going after the sexual predators of the world. Now, it less apparent in this issue, but we're not done with Spawn going after sexual predators of the world. I'm not going to be talking about that story in this These Seven Men Are Disrupting the Comic Book Industry series, but suffice it to say there's another type of sex criminal out there that Spawn is going to go after in the very near future, but that's not in the here or in the now. So in the here and the now, though, Spawn basically, he doesn't exactly rough Billy Miller up or anything, but he makes it pretty clear, dude, I got my eye on you, all right? You need to get your shit together. And on page 11, we get another brief glimpse of Malbolgia. And the thing about it is, this is what Malbolgia wants. All right. He's given Al Simmons uh, status, I guess, as, as a spawn. He's got power and all of that. He's back from the dead. But the thing is, Al Simmons, before he died, he wasn't an angel. We need to be clear on that. He was no angel. But at the same time, he wasn't evil. What Malbolgia really needs is for Al Simmons to destroy what's left of his conscience, to destroy what's left of his soul. And the more the more violent Spawn becomes, the closer he he gets to this ideal that Malbolgia is aiming for. So whenever he gets the drop on Billy Miller, even though Spawn in a certain, like not so much legally, but from a moral standpoint, Spawn is definitely doing the right thing by telling Billy Miller, keep your fucking hands off her or else basically I'm going to kill you is what it comes down to. He's actually, he's doing the right thing, but this is ultimately serving Malbolgia's agenda. And so it what what becomes apparent on this page, if nothing else, what becomes apparent is Spawn is truly trapped. Okay? He can't not be who he is, but by being who he is, he becomes closer and closer to this weird fucked up ideal that Malbolgia has in mind. He's becoming more and more the perfect leader that the Malbolgia is looking for. And here again, I mean, I just, I want to emphasize the fact that it's, is this genius, like, master-level writing? Well, you know what? Maybe not. But this is, nevertheless, very 
clever writing. And I think this is writing that people would probably be a lot more complimentary of if they didn't know that it was a rookie writer in general and Todd McFarlane as a rookie writer specifically who's writing all this stuff. I think people would actually be more complimentary to it, you know? So it's just, for whatever reason, the flaws, which admittedly do exist, but the flaws in the writing are just so much more obvious to some people just because I guess maybe they're looking for it, you know? So I don't know. Anyway, so we get into this bit of business with Al. out. Uh, he's outside of Wanda's house, and he's disguised as a Caucasian once again. And I guess one of the things that I think McFarlane does really well is facial expressions. Now, I don't think he's necessarily the master of facial expressions. I mean, there are a lot of other artists out there who do facial expressions perhaps better than McFarland does. Like for example, I think Kurt Swan, he could do he could do so much with just a few lines. And McFarland even now is not quite on that level, but it's like at the same rate if you look at uh, Comicsology's page 15, uh, in the second panel, you've got Al, he's standing there, he's just rattling off this bullshit. It's an excuse. Uh, it's a cover story for him to to be at Wanda's doorstep. He's talking about, I'm from the SPCA, and we're going around the neighborhood checking to see if the dogs have blah, 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 blah. But that's what he's saying. But if you just look at the expression that is that, that he's making, I mean, this guy is, he's not just in love, he's falling in love with his wife all over again. And she has no reason to think that she's talking to her deceased husband at this moment. And it's just this kind of vapid and superficial conversation that they have, or briefly have. Uh, Cyan ends up uh, interrupting it a little bit. And I can, I mean, you can just imagine this whole sequence at Wanda's house, how horrifying and painful this must have been for Al knowing that he's so close and yet so far away from the woman that he loves and the woman that he loves, she's now married to his best friend. His best friend was able to give his wife a child. And it's like, geez, I mean, talk about stabbing you in the back, twisting the knife and then breaking it off at the handle. I mean, God, this would just suck. And so page 18, we see the New York City skyline with these gigantic letters saying no and i think it would be fair to say that spawn is pretty much losing his shit at this point i mean honestly it's a it's kind of amazing he was able to keep his composure long enough to get away from wanda's house but man by the time he gets back to the alleys he's pretty much fucking exploded so and this is just a cool cool page uh, this is page 18 you get uh, new york city skyline and silhouette in the first panel and then the panel beneath that you've got spawn and all you can really see is the top of his head his eyes his cape his uh one of his chains his hands that are glowing and then all of this green necroplasm energy that's just uh popping off all over the place and he's at this point spawn is deepest deepest into the throes of despair he's just He's just gone. He's just far over the edge. And as he's doing all this, he's burning off, as we see on uh, Comixology's page 19, he's burning off more and more of his necroplasm energy. He started off in spawn number one at 9999. Now he's down to 8821. The, the number keeps dwindling. And we find it. I don't think it's ever outright said except in a letter column. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it here. This is spawn's power meter. Right, this this little counter clock that you that, that we keep seeing, this is a power meter. Every time Spawn uses his power, he uses up basically his quota. The instant this thing hits zero, he's going straight back to hell, and that's it. So it's important then that if Spawn ever uses his power, if he depletes it, it needs to be for something that's worthwhile. So anyway, after that, uh, the the clown appears on the scene. He transforms into his violator form. And honestly, when I was reading this for the first time as a kid, I thought, okay, finally, so we're going to get some action and some fights and stuff. And not really. On page 21, Spawn gets his heart ripped out. Page 22, he falls over dead. 
And then on Comixology's page 23, he's back, and then that's the end of the issue. So no fights or action or anything like that going on here. This is a very talky issue, shall we say. And there is a little bit of discontinuity as compared to what we know is coming in the future. In the future, we know that basically necroplasm is green. Spawn's blood basically is necroplasm. It's green. Everything about Spawn's innards, it's all green. And yet, when the Violator rips out his heart, we see that it's red. And even, that's not like a one-time thing. Like, even on page, uh, Comixology's page 22, and then on Comixology's page 23, on all of these pages, every time we see his heart, it's always red. And so I'm guessing at some point after completing the fourth issue, McFarlane decided, you know what? We need to somehow alienate Spawn even more. So he just basically creates a bit of a continuity snafu here with Spawn's flesh. It goes from being red to being green. So, and that, but that's in the future. So I don't know. I mean, sometimes, I don't know. I guess sometimes you get, you get a better idea after you've gotten started. I mean, it happens. It's weird, but hey, that's life. So that is pretty much the end of the issue. So you can pretty much figure that issue number four, that's going to be the big blowout. So, but that is issue four, not not this. And I think, honestly, that's probably just about it for issue number three. So, uh, getting into feedback, actually, you know what, first, uh, before we get into feedback, I want to get a drink off of my orange vanilla Coke here. If I do say so myself, I think I'm actually doing pretty good in this episode. I haven't needed to uh, take a break, just like this little mini break before the uh, 30-minute mark. So I reward myself with also a little bit of vapor. One second. All right, so yeah, feedback. Now... We're going to skip ahead a little bit with with, uh, feedback because I tumbled onto something here that I think is sort of apropos for where we are right now vis-a-vis comics. And when I say right now, I mean, I do mean right now. Like at the moment that I record this, the feedback that I've got in mind is kind of topical in a weird roundabout kind of way. And so for that reason, I decided to put feedback that I received in 2015 on pause for the time being. So I can skip ahead, like I say, into 2016. This is an email that was sent in by longtime listener of the show, longtime friend of this show, and host of the Man of Screen podcast. This is Mike Zumo. Subject line says, possible DC relaunch. Mike Zumo writes... So, DC is planning another relaunch. What do I think? Are these people fucking kidding me? Look, I wasn't the biggest fan. Actually, you know what? Before I even get into that, uh, Mike, what I want to do here is put your email on pause and say, look, man, I kind of bowed out of DC for the most part, not very long after the, the that whole New 52 relaunch. And so there's a lot of stuff that's happened with DC that I'm just really not up to speed on, right? But if memory serves, I could be wrong, all right? But if memory serves, what you're referring to here is DC Rebirth, all right? That, I think, is, that was the the, the big whoosie what's whoop de doo event of 2016, right? That's that's how I that's how I remember stuff. So anyway, moving right along, uh, Mike goes on to say, "Look, I wasn't the biggest fan of the New Fifty Two when it started, and I'm still not. I mean, apart from Scott Snyder's run on Batman, the rest has been crap. 
especially the Superman titles. Hell, I don't recognize the guy anymore, and he's supposed to be the greatest of them all. And Mike, I'm going to put your email back on pause and say, look, dude, from look from your mouth to God's ear. All right, because it, it, in a weird kind of way, it sort of feels like I'm preaching to the choir here a little bit. But that was honestly like I, I'm pretty sure that I remember the exact moment that I decided to sort of tune out of the new 52. And I want to say it was an issue of of Swamp Thing. But basically, Superman had a guest appearance. New 52 Superman had a guest appearance in some issue or another of Swamp Thing, right? And so during that guest uh, that uh, guest appearance, not much is ever outright said, but it's implied that this is a Superman who has died before, all right? Now, the big marketing hoopla with the New 52, as you may remember, Mike, was this is a full-scale page one reboot for almost everybody. Basically, they wanted to keep the stuff that works, which at that time would have been Batman and Green Lantern. They wanted to keep that stuff. But everybody else, most particularly perhaps Superman, everyone else is basically starting over from square zero. And indeed, it seemed that they were. Lois Lane was not married to Clark. She did not know that Clark is Superman and so on and so forth. And it really, for all the world, kind of looked like, you know what? I can't believe it. They're, they're really going for it. This, is, this really is a reboot. And then it comes out, well, I died this one time, but hey, I'm back now and I'm, I'm feeling pretty, pretty good. And it was just the biggest, it, it was just the biggest fucking chicken shit move, Mike, because look, the, the thing about this that really bothered the shit out of me is like, look, you guys are saying that you want to, that this is going to be a reboot. We can consider this a reboot. Yeah. You know, Batman isn't changing all that much. And yeah, Green Lantern isn't changing all that much, but basically everyone else full scale reboot. You don't know their history. You don't know what this is all about. You're going to get in on this from the ground floor. Everything that you need to know about these characters, for the most part, is going to start with the first issue of whatever their title is and then just work up from there. That was very much the big marketing pitch uh, behind the New 52. And so imagine my frustration when, lo and behold, it comes out that Superman has fucking died before. It's like, okay, so you guys, you want to have all the pomp and circumstance of a reboot. You want to be able to call this a reboot, but where the rubber meets the road, you still want to keep the most famous Superman story of them all, which is to say Doomsday. You want to keep that story because you know how famous it is. It's like, fuck you. Okay. And God, I, 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 I wish I could tell you, Mike, how mad I was. And it's like, Mike, I don't want to talk your ear off here too much or anything, but it's like, as I, for the last, obviously for the last several, at this point, at the time that I record this, several months, I've been on a pretty strong Image Comics kick, right? Like early to mid-90s Image, that's been really, that's really been my thing, you know? And in particular, Wildstorm. And in and amidst the sort of Wildstorm kick that I was on, also really got into Gen 13. It's just, man, I had a blast reading my Gen 13 back issues and how fun that was. And then I remembered that Caitlin Fairchild had a semi-prominent role in New 52 Superboy. And I don't believe, <clears throat> I don't believe that she was referred to outright as Caitlin Fairchild. I think they just called her Caitlin. And I think that was it. And it was supposed to be kind of a reveal, you know, who she is and all that. And I kind of predicted that from whatever the first issue that she popped up in was. Like, I, that may have been issue number one. I mean, forgive me, Mike, it's been a long time. But that may have been issue number one that Fairchild popped up in. But it's like, I kind of called that whatever that, whatever her first appearance in New 52 Superboy was. Oh, yeah, this is Fairchild. Yeah, that, that that's who this is. And sure enough, it was. And it's like, it's not the Fairchild that you remember. This this version of the character in no way resembles the Gen 13 version of the character. But hey, she's got the same name. 
So you should be happy about it. You know, and it was it was like Mike, it was like they were kind of placating me a little bit, you know, and it's just fuck you, you know. So anyway, I'm sorry, Mike, I didn't want this to turn into a whole new 52 thing, but. Well, here we are. So anyway, Mike goes on to write. So it shouldn't bother me that they're planning to scrap the whole thing. But my biggest fear is what's going to come next. It's no secret that the first Dan DiDio, uh, the first thing Dan DiDio did when he became co-publisher of DC Comics was go in his office, drop his pants, and take a massive crap over everything most of us loved about the DCU. And apparently the stench was so bad that New York City's health department shuttered DC Comics as a possible health hazard and banned them from the city. This is what happened. Don't buy that putting everybody under one roof bullshit, as Synergy puts the fear of God into DC Comics and its parent company, Time Warner. And Mike, I'm putting your email back on pause and say, actually, I hadn't heard that. I, I, uh, that's actually new information, or it was new information to me at the time that I first read this email. Basically, the way, as you say, Mike, the way that this was so, this bit of DC Comics relocating to California, the way that was sort of sold to the fans, to the comic book public was, oh yeah, we want to have everything all under one roof. And, uh, and you know, Mike, this is not to disagree with you. I'm, I'm tempted to say though, there may have even been something to that. You know, there may be some kind of germ of truth of wanting to have everybody all operating under one roof. You know, I can, I can see where that might make sense to some fucking corporate bean counter somewhere. I, I, I think I can buy into that, you know, but nevertheless, that's a pretty drastic step to take. And so you filling in the story here with basically DC offices pretty much being condemned by New York, uh, New York City uh, Health Department. That does kind of fill in some sort of relevant blanks here. So thanks a lot, Mike, for filling me in on that. So, anyway, Mike goes on to say, Anyway, whether the New 52 is a good thing or not, the simple fact that they're going for another Ground Zero relaunch again shows a lack of commitment on the part of DC Comics. I doubt there's anything wrong that can't be solved by making a commitment to writing better stories. Maybe aside from the Clarkless Superman. I don't see a way out of that. And Mike, I'm going to put the email back on pause and say, You know, time has a funny way of shifting the ledger on these things a little bit to where sometimes things come out that like they're rumored in the fan press or they're whispered about on the two true freaks, uh, Facebook page or something like that, or some comic book forum, some comic book message board out there somewhere, you know, but basically one of the things that has really gotten a lot of traction. Not official confirmation, you understand, but one of the things that's really gotten a lot of traction in these last few months at the time that I record this this episode is this notion that the New 52, conceptually, it really was Dan DiDio's baby. You know, that was basically Dan DiDio wanting to fix a bunch of shit that frankly, a lot of people just don't really care very much about, you know? And so what we can see with things like the New 52 and then the New 52 being followed up with DC Rebirth is this weird sort of tug of war, this push and pull that's going on with different aspects of DC Comics, different factions sort of fighting it out with each other and basically trying to have sort of a pissing contest over who ultimately gets to call the shots with DC Comics. And I guess what I mean what what I mean by that is at the time that Dan DiDio worked for DC Comics is this Dan DiDio show or is Jeff Johns the one who's really pulling the strings. And so with the new 52 it was pretty clear that Dan DiDio had the upper hand. Whereas with DC Rebirth, I don't think that anybody has ever denied that DC Rebirth was Jeff Johns' show from start to finish. And Dan DiDio was just kind of along for the ride on that, you know? And so then things get uh, 
reversed from whatever they were before. Now it's the new 52. And then that gets reversed. Now it's DC Rebirth. And then that gets reversed. And 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 now we've got uh, 5G. Now, guys, I'm recording this, this episode long before this episode is coming out. So there's a pretty big gap in time from when I'm recording this to when this episode is released. So just to kind of narrow things down, it's the beginning of March at the time that I record this. And the most recent big thing to come down the pipeline is Dan DiDio getting fired from DC Comics. All right. That's the most at the time that I record this, that's the biggest thing that's happened. And what we've been told, or at least what has been suggested, is that all systems are go, at least for right now, when it comes to 5G. All right. So at the time that you guys are hearing this, how are things looking? I don't know. But at least at the time that, I, that I'm recording this, 5G is pretty much looking like it's, it's, it's moving ahead. More or less as Dan DiDio planned it. You know, I don't know if 5G is ultimately going to be what Dan DiDio had in mind. But my point in saying all of this is to say that New 52 was Dan DiDio. DC Rebirth, that was, uh, that, that was more Jeff Johns' show. And then, of course, they eke away uh, Rebirth. So here comes Doomsday Clock, which I really don't give a shit about. And now it's 5G because Dan DiDio, before he got fired, he was the guy that had the upper hand. And so what is going to happen between now and June and or just whenever this episode comes out? Guys, I would not presume to fucking know. All I do know is that with Dan DiDio being gone, what I'm hoping for, well, at this point, I'm kind of just hoping that DC Comics survives but beyond that, what I'm kind of hoping for is that we get a little bit more consistency, you know, where shit doesn't get completely fucking rewritten every single year, you know, where everything you think you know about this universe gets completely overturned, and now you got to learn it all over again, except now things aren't really all that different. And honestly, that to me, Mike, is... That's the really annoying part about all of these different retcons, because that's really what these are, Mike. They're retcons. They're not reboots. They're, DC Comics, as a line, has never been full-scale rebooted. It has never happened. Every single time one of these bullshit events comes along, what DC seems to want to do is take the stuff that works, meaning the stuff that's successful, keep that, but reset some of these other things over here. It's just, it doesn't fucking work, okay? It doesn't fucking work. It has never worked. And it's like, it doesn't seem to matter how many times they try and fail. It, they just keep bashing their head against a brick wall, hoping they get a different fucking... Anyway. I'm just going to continue with Mike's email. I'm sorry, Mike. All right, so... Of course, in the time I was away, John M. Wilson postulated that this may not be a continuity reboot, but just giving people shiny new number ones. Ooh, shiny. Maybe, maybe not. And it turns out, in fact, yes, that, that is what it was. So, but let's, for argument's sake, let's say this is a continuity reboot, which we know it wasn't, not really. I mean, it was, but not really. Again, it's a retcon. If it is, I hope DC learned its lesson from the New 52 and will give everyone... A Ground Zero reboot. Yes, Batman, that includes you. I'm sure everyone remembers Dan DiDio's five-year timeline in which Batman went through Robins like toilet paper. And I don't know what the hell's going on in the Green Lantern and Superman books these days, and I'm pretty sure the creative teams don't either. And for that matter, Mike, I, I tend to agree. I don't think they did either. Mike says... Personally, I hope it isn't a Ground Zero reboot. If it is, it would be the third reboot, if you count the soft reboot that came with Infinite Crisis, which I don't, by the way, because that was a retcon, was not a reboot, during Dan DiDio's Reign of Terror. This company doesn't need another reboot. It needs to focus on quality storytelling and getting its characters right, and if you want to retool the universe, that's fine. Nothing can exist for an extended period of time without adjustments along the way. 
And Mike, I'm putting your email back on pause and say, here, here, sir. I mean, look, Mike, it seems like you and I are pretty much coming from the same place on this. Reboot or don't reboot, okay? But these retcons have got to fucking go. I'm fed up with Superman getting a completely brand new history every two years just because some dipshit thinks that, well, John Byrne got to do it back in 1986, so by God, that means I get to do it. No, DC wanted to reboot Superman back in 1986. They chose John Byrne to do it. This was not given to John Byrne as a condition precedent of him coming to work for DC to to do a run on Superman, all right? DC, Super, uh, uh, John Byrne wanted to work on Superman. DC wanted to reboot Superman. And so they had a meeting of the minds on the matter. But it's like these days, the special circumstances, the, the, the special honor, because I consider it an honor, the special honor that was, that was accorded Byrne back in 1986, it's like everybody thinks they've got the fucking right to do that now. And no, uh, let me think, who was first? Jeff Loeb, you do not have the right to do that. No, Mark Wade, you do not have the right to do that. No, Jeff Johns, you do not have the right to do that. Just on and on and on, all right? And another thing about DC Rebirth, uh, rebirth was that uh, the, the big shtick behind that was uh, it, it, there was this line of, well, they're bringing back the burned Superman because the market has spoken, and so they're bringing that version of the character back, and he's going to be just what you... And he's not. I mean, this is kind of a facsimile of, uh, of the Man of Steel Superman, but not really. I mean, he's got basically a, a, a pretty different backstory. There's some... Maybe you have to get a little bit nitpicky, but there are some, some nuances... Uh, and layers with his, basically with the character's formation, somewhat with, well actually to a large degree, with his origin, such that this cannot possibly be the burned version of Superman. It's just not possible. There are some similarities perhaps, but that's all they are. They're completely superficial. And one might say ultimately meaningless. So anyways, and God, I'm getting another rant here. Sorry, Mike. I'm just going to... No offense, Mike. I'm just going to power through the rest of your email here. So, Mike, uh, Mike finishes up his email by saying, Anyway, what DC does in June won't affect me much. I'll be sticking my nose back into the post-crisis and Bronze Ages soon. I liked it there. Signed, Mike Zumo. And Mike, look, dude. You and I could not be closer on this issue then we all we would have to get further away before we could get any closer on this i mean mike i just I, I look back at the 90s not that the 90s were perfect but i look back at the 90s and i think you know what that's kind of it for me you know that's when i came of age as a comic book fan that's the dc universe not the multiverse that's the dc universe that i know that i understand that i identify with and that I accept. And honestly, if it's not that, then I guess I'll go into the Bronze Age, and you know, that's pretty cool. Or I'll go into the 80s, and hey, that's fine too. But really, it comes down to the 90s for me, okay? I'm a, when it comes to comics, I'm a 90s guy. And I, I just don't really care to read about a version of Superman that's not the Bronze Age Superman, or not something similar to John Byrne's Superman. I mean, John Byrne's actual fucking Superman, okay? If it's not that, then just get out of my fucking face. I don't, I don't want to be bothered with that, okay? Get out of here with that. And that's pretty much where I'm coming from right now when it comes to, I would say, DC in general. And I would say Superman specifically. So, and, and my point, Mike, not to talk your ear off as if I haven't already, but my point, Mike, is to say it sounds like you and I are pretty much in pretty pretty solid agreement on all of this I would say so anyway and as it happens I you know I, I guess there's more feedback I could go through but I'm already kind of getting my blood pressure worked up as it is so maybe now is pretty much the best time to just kind of close the book on uh, on spawn number three close the book on this episode and this feedback section and just kind of look forward a little bit and guys next week it, that's going to be the last helping of these seven men are disrupting the comic book industry. 
After that, I'm going to be shifting gears and talking about some some other stuff. I've got a, a couple of different ideas. Nothing set in stone yet, obviously, because it's just so far into the future. But I've got a couple of ideas, you know, running with this kind of 90s thing that I've that I was just talking about. I've got some ideas on how to expand on that and how to continue with that and talk about some different stuff and hopefully have, have some fun doing it. But that's all in the future. So I think that's pretty much it for me for this week, though. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens and dozens of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, You can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon. Because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void were prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus... Media Enterprises Limited Production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy.
everybody, Magnus here. I host a podcast called Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. I release new episodes every Tuesday, and sometimes those episodes are all about Smallville. This is Magnus Talks About Smallville. In my opinion, Smallville is the most underrated live-action adaptation of Superman in history. Magnus Talks About Smallville is dedicated to themes, story arcs, and character motivations of Smallville. I do a ton of in-depth analysis of each episode of the show, and people seem to love listening to me talk about Smallville. And I want you along for the ride. Check out Magnus Talks About Smallville, a feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, and see for yourself why Smallville is awesome. Magnus Talks About Smallville, a feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, only at twotruefreaks.com.